You are listening to the Soar Above Cancer podcast, episode 131, The Magic of Storytelling, our chat with Andrea, with your host, Gabrielle and Alex. Hello, fellow cancer thrivers. Welcome to this week's episode of the Soar Above Cancer podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding the strength to not only survive a cancer diagnosis, but thrive at living one's life with cancer. So Andrea, we've known you for a few years now. And we're very happy to have you on. We're going to be chatting about your experience today. And we're really happy that we can share that story with our listeners. So we can delve right in and maybe start with who is Andrea? (laughs) The most difficult question that we ask. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, Well, I am, I'm a mom. I'm definitely a mom. I have a 10-year-old little boy, and I'm a student also. I'm a 35-year-old student. Uh, I went back to college in the fall, and I'm taking business administration and human resource management so I can manage and resource people. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I mean, yeah, tell us a little bit about your, your cancer experience, because we know you throughout that experience for the most part. So tell us basically all about how that got started and how you've experienced that. Okay, so I first found, a, I had breast cancer, and I first found a lump in my right breast in 2015. I was 30 years old, and I didn't think it was anything, and I was like, oh, it'll go away. And then a few months later, it didn't go away and the lump got bigger and there was two lumps. So I started to get it investigated. So it turned out that I had five tumors in my breast as well as the mammogram. I describe it as a snow globe. It looked like you shook up a snow globe and it was just Mm -hmm. cancer flakes in my Mm -hmm. whole breast. Mm -hmm. Um, So then after that, I had a double mastectomy. I opted to have both breasts removed because the doctor advised me I would have to have my left breast removed no matter what. So just do them both at the same time. Hopefully they'd be the same shape and stuff. That was my hope. Um, so they did reconstruction with my stomach using all the fat in my belly, which the, the, it was a very long and excruciatingly painful recovery from that. I wasn't really prepared. I, it was so fast. I was diagnosed. And then two weeks later I had the surgery. Um, so I was just like in a tunnel of just, I want to survive. Um, a month after the surgery, I had, um, I started chemo and then I did that for five months. I did 28 days radiation. I did Herceptin, which was a drug for, I, it's called her, I was HER2 positive. So I produce cancer cells that it feeds cancer cells and makes them multiply and divide at a rapid pace. So I did that Herceptin for a year, which put me into heart failure. My heart infraction rate was in the 30 to 35% range for range for almost a year. So I was in bed rest for probably about two years from being diagnosed with surgery and then heart failure. Yeah, it was scary. It was long. It, t- it yeah. felt like forever. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what, like, I'm actually curious because, you, like, being in this quarantine time frame now, everyone's stuck at home. Everyone's sort of recovering, even if it's just mentally. But it sounds like you actually had a lot more experience than, than most 
kind of going through the fact that you, you had a choice but to rest. So what was like, what was your mindset? What kind of got you through that time period? I know it's like the survivor mentality, but what was like the mindset and what did you do to kind of get through that time period where you were really just in bed rest? Um, what helped me the most was I started ex an expressive arts class. So it was nice. through Cancer Care Manitoba and it was every Tuesday for, I think it was 10 weeks or something. So, and the place they held it was literally a block away. So I just walked really slow to hmm. the place. And through that class, I learned about meditation and I learned about expressing my feelings through art, not trying to make something pretty or mimic something, but just explaining my feelings into like colors and scribbles or whatever and finding things in nature that I could relate to, to how I felt and then putting them on uh, like in a journal book kind of a thing. And so when I would come home from a class, I would turn my TV on to the nature channel. So I would hear like nature. So I would feel like I was outside mm -hmm. and I would just draw or write. And honestly, that really helped me throughout being at home was getting my feelings and thoughts out without actually like having to explain it to somebody. It was, it was really neat. That was yeah. huge. Yeah. That have sounds you, really cool. Have you kept up those practices like through the years? And what yeah. does that look like today? Well, too bad you guys can't see it on the podcast, but I can <laughs> the video. But I have like an art journal. And so at least once a month, I open it up and I'll do a little meditation first. And then I'll just draw or color or I'll clip stuff out of a magazine or a card for how I feel, like what that feeling is that month and put it on that paper. And then I date it. And then at the end of the year, I'll do like a recap of words of how I felt throughout the year. And then it's kind of like a baseline for the next year moving forward. And the last two years, it's been remarkable. The difference from in 2018, I was extremely depressed. 2019, I didn't think I could get any more depressed. And then by the end of 2019, it's like I finally got out of the depression and this year is a whole new year and I can see through my drawings and stuff that it's so much brighter and lighter and more giving energy to the universe compared to being such a dark deep tunnel yeah, wow. that's actually yeah that's awesome to hear especially now because I, <laughs> I think it's really nice to hear you have this like this upward trajectory in your in your mindset when a lot of people are in this tough area now. I mean, you've gone through that and you found ways to, to channel it into something positive. Like I know um, we talk a lot about gratitude meditation myself. I try and now write in like a journal once a day and just kind of write down some of the cool things that I've done throughout the day, something to be grateful for. And I think what you're doing is a test to really like how to stay positive, even in times like this or throughout really a struggling if you're going through an illness, it's kind of a really nice, nice story to hear. So that's awesome. I honestly, I was, I didn't think I could get out of my depression. It was mm -hmm. so deep and dark and it was just like, I could just feel it throughout my whole body and my bones. And the more I learned about like through Yak, through the con, like it was honestly the Yak Survivor Conference last year that really like turned that light bulb on for me when they had that part on the stage one of the last days where they had um that scott guy 
and mm -hmm. Danny was up there and the other people and they were explaining these three different categories and if we keep them all together like with your working out with mindfulness um and in connection those three things and doing them every single day even though the days I didn't feel like getting up and walking or feel like sitting there meditating once I did it it was like oh, I felt better. And I started feeling better and better and better and better. And then the things that were really dragging me down, I would write them down and I'd be like, okay, so if I go down this road, what's that going to look like? If I go down the other way of like getting out of the depression, okay, what steps do I need to do in order to get myself out of that hole? Mm -hmm. And so I slowly started building myself out of the hole. And it was like, all of a sudden, poof, I'm out of depression. And I haven't fallen backwards. I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for that shoe to drop, but it's not <laughs> dropped because yeah. I'm still being positive and moving forward. And I'm trying to encourage other people, you know, giving them support and stuff. We'll give you one, back. Yeah, sorry. Go, go ahead, Gabrielle. No, go no, ahead. no, I'm good. Okay, okay. Well, I know one thing, and sometimes we get all like <laughs> discombobulated. Fighting. We'll fight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Andrew, one thing we talked about when we wanted to get you on and we were talking yesterday through text was this concept of like resiliency. And that was a big part of what you went through. So maybe talk about that. How was it, how would it feel to, to try and, and have that resiliency and to try and be positive when there's so many negative things going on? What, how was that kind of working for you? So the way I came up with that word was, so during my battle, I was engaged. I was with my partner for 15 years, my son's dad. Mm -hmm. um, I had three best friends for over 20 years. And it was like me and those people versus the world. I have my mom and my dad who live about an hour and a half away from me in the city. My sister's in Calgary. Um, and I have some grandparents and aunt and uncle and a couple cousins who lived about 10 minutes away from me in the city. So a year into my my battle my three best friends turned their backs on me made up crazy stories about my fiance and was telling them to my mom and then pinning my mom against my fiance so they were all all of these people were fighting behind my back about lies that i found out a year and a half later that they were doing all of that stuff i had a 6 year old son I had my aunt and uncle, grandparents who lived super close, couldn't, they were not there for me. They didn't call me. They didn't visit me, take me to an appointment, nothing, like absolutely nothing. Like I felt like every aspect of my life was getting shit on. Everything I built up for myself at 30 years old was all mm. crashing down. My, the company I worked for went bankrupt. So I didn't have a job to go back to. Um, so I felt like everything was coming at me and throughout all of it i was just like you know what whatever moving on yeah. stay focused on staying alive because that's all that matters i can't let that shit get to me mm -hmm. so i felt like resilience was the right word to describe how i was throughout all of that i was just resilient just like you know what? fuck you fuck off I'm sorry exactly no it's okay <laughs> it's okay um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my, I, I would have to say I was resilient through all the shit yeah. people were throwing at me and continue to throw at me. My ex ended up, my fiance, I found out a year after finding out about my best friends that he actually was having an affair on me because mm. of what they did. 
So I found that out a year later in 2018. Mm -hmm. So it's been a nightmare having to literally hit the reset button Mm -hmm. and uh, start again. Yeah, start again. It's that's wild. I mean, to hear like that, you just had this mindset that, you know what, like, and what I really learned hearing you say is just you, all you can really focus on is, is yourself in a situation like that. Like, let me just put my head down. Let me feel healthy. Let's take it one day at a time. And you build yourself up slowly. You can't solve all your problems at once. It's just a matter of, you know what I need to do me. I need to figure myself out and you kind of go through it. So that's awesome. I'm interested to understand a bit more of the parent role that you played through all of it because you had a a little boy that also needed you. So what was it like to go through all of this with a child and were there things that came out of it that you could have never expected that are beyond your wildest dreams? So when I was diagnosed, he was five, almost six. I had my surgery November 28th, no, November 24th, and his birthday was December 8th. So I was still had tubes and all kinds of stuff for his birthday. We had a party with his friends over and it was like, I had a big bubble around me, like nobody go near your mom. Um, It was, I thought it was probably the hardest thing for my son, everything I went through because he, him and I are, we're still like this, like, And he used to cuddle with me. And that was the hardest thing for me to be like, you can't hug me. We can't cuddle. You can't sleep with me in bed anymore. You can't snuggle on the couch. So he used to sit on the floor by my feet on the couch or sit on the floor in my bedroom um, because he knew he was too scared. I had four tubes coming out of me all over. Mm. Um, He was really scared. And I think that was the hardest part was not being able to like physically console my child. Uh, when he needed me the most, because he had no idea what was going on at all. Um, it was really hard to parent because the doctors, my my uh, oncologist, wanted my son to move out. They didn't want him living in the same household as I was mm. because he was in school and he was in daycare and he was really young and all the germs and stuff like that. But there was no way in hell that I could no. live with him. Like, he needs me. So I needed him. Yeah. So it was it was a struggle, but he got into it really well with washing his hands, changing his clothes as soon as he came home from school. So fast forward to now, he's got this down. Like here, you know, when you get home, like wash your hands, like yeah. like none of that stuff ever changed over the years. Um, but yeah, the the one thing that really sucked with having him home, which I understand why the doctors wanted me to kick him out, was I got sick after every single round of chemo. I got an infection from, they think it's from him from school. And I guess he didn't wash his hands good enough. But yeah, I got really sick with infections and colds all the time from him. But whatever, I survived. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like he was very resilient as well. Yeah. 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 He, he really was like, he's my biggest cheerleader and he still helps me when I need help. And he would do, he was like my little nurse <laughs> when I couldn't stuff, he would uh, do whatever he could. Yeah. I'm curious because a lot of, I, I mean, Gabrielle and I aren't parents, but we've heard parents mention that sometimes they, it's hard 
telling their kids what's happening. Um, you mentioned at the time that he had not really an idea exactly what was going on, but he understood maybe certain parts of it. So how did you introduce the idea of cancer in a way that you felt comfortable doing so that you felt that he would maybe understand? And if you haven't, what kind of what was the whole idea behind that? Well, when I was first diagnosed, that the day that I was diagnosed, they just bombarded you with papers mm-hmm. and yeah. flip stuff. So they gave me a workbook for kids, and you and it the way it set up was kind of the way my story went, where the first is diagnosis, surgery, chemo, radiation, recovery. So every stage of the book, it explains. It's like an activity book and coloring book that the parent and the kid can go through at the same time so the kid understands in kid language kind of what you're going through um but I honestly I brain fogged out and I was too sick during chemo to even do this workbook (laughs) so I just kind of explained it to him as I went through it like after I got over the diagnosis then I sat down with him and just told him that I was you know mommy's not feeling well and that there's you know I gotta have surgery of my my boobs and um and then we went through the surgery and recovery. And then I said, okay, now I'm doing medicine and it's going to make me feel really sick. And my hair is going to fall out. And at the time, my hair was down to here. Like my yeah. hair is at my butt, very yeah. long. So that was a shocker to him for his whole life, me having long hair to daddy shaving my head. And he actually was, he made videos of it on his leapfrog tablet that I've never seen of me <laughs> getting head shaved, which now I want to go find that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he was really strong like he would kiss my head he would love on me it's like it didn't matter how much I physically changed that he was still my support Mm -hmm. and I didn't go into too much detail with things with him other than mommy's fine it's medicine it's made me sick the medicine it it, it hurt my heart so my heart's really weak so we got to go slow and and he really understood it and he's been my little rock still is my little rock yeah, that's awesome. I got the I had the honor to work with kids who had a parent living with cancer and I worked through two groups of these kids and they had the most interesting questions about their parents' illness. Um some was like, Can I catch it from kissing mommy or, or whatever the case may be? And it was just very innocent um questions that they had. Did your kid have any any questions that really stuck to you or anything that he said that that stood out uh, I honestly I can't really remember because it was so it was so, almost five years ago now yeah. that all of that happened and I don't really remember any specific questions the things that stand out the most was him kissing my head and him rubbing on my head mm-hmm. uh, and him like gently hugging me you know, around my neck and things like that. Just him being super sweet and really mindful of me and my space. Nice. But I don't remember any specific questions. I think I just told him, you know, before it would happen. Yeah, being proactive for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So now your hair is tied up in a bun as we speak right now, Andrea. But did like did you change the hairstyle because you can't? It was down your butt. Did you like like how it was shorter now? How did that kind of change? A lot of people change their hair. So. Well, okay. So I took it as a free pass. Yeah. To dye my hair whatever color I wanted, to <laughs> mess around with my eyebrows. Like, I, the hardest thing for me was the eyebrows because I was never yeah. big into 
makeup and stuff yeah. mm -hmm. so when I had no eyebrows I needed eyebrows so I would have like the angry look like one would be really like this so I would I would commit it and I'd go into radiation and keep that face like yeah <laughs> um, I dyed my hair red I wanted to do red so I dyed it a crazy red color yeah. um I have pictures where I match with like one of those chia pets you know with it. <laughs> yeah 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 um but honestly I from it coming back I said I would never I'm not going to cut it until it's back at that mm. length again yeah. so I had a mullet growing because it grew back at different I <laughs> yeah I know so I had, right so I had the mullet like trim to be one even length mullet and then I just let it grow and I have not cut my hair since now it's down to about here okay Right. Your stomach, so, about yeah, yeah, yeah. So just under my chest now, and I'm gonna grow it to my butt, if not a little bit longer, and then I'm going to host a shave for the brave, and I'm gonna cut ten inches off. Yeah, wow. that's, yeah. that's what I'll do because I've been trying to get a shave for the brave happening in Winnipeg, and I've had really shitty luck trying to get it done. Yeah. Yeah. I'll cut my hair, and that's <laughs> what will start it here in Winnipeg. Can you share a little bit what Shave for the Brave is? Shave for the Brave is, so I would be a, a shaver slash a bat and bat, a little, a bat, and a bat, bat. We cut part out. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure, obviously. Ambassador and head shaver. And so I would go around and get my friends, family, neighbors, community, once we're out of isolation. Um, I would fundraise for them to donate money to you yak and i would cut i think 10 inches off of my hair so that would be my personal donation and other people would uh fundraise for me or support me in shaving my head and i hope to find a whole bunch of other people who want to shave their head or cut 10 inches off and fundraise for yak for young adult cancer nice that's wicked there's so many cool different ways that you can fundraise that like you would never have thought when getting cancer, you're like, I didn't think in three years I'd be shaving and cutting 10 inches off my head for money. Well, it's hell, the coolest, right? No. <laughs> I feel like at points you kind of even doubt that you're going to have that much hair ever again, right? Yeah. But, yeah. That mullet, that mullet okay. stage, I remember. <laughs> oh, it was bad. It was yeah. Bad. It was red. It was a horrible. <laughs> my friends, my, my, I have two friends who are hairdressers and they're like, what did you do? I'm like, why not? Why yeah. not? And yeah. I it took years. Every time I, I yeah. still, I just dyed my hair and it has like an orange kind of glow to it still. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. I mean, I remember my hair was, I went in high school, had this massive Afro just because my hair was, was curly. And then when it came back, like it's still a little curly, but it's way straighter. And my hairdresser just has no idea. Every time I, she's been my hairdresser for years and she's like, I can't believe your hair came back this way. I'm like, Mary, I don't know what to tell you, but I like it better now. So it was kind of a blessing in disguise. See, so. I, was, I was really hoping that my hair would come out curly because it, it's been curly when I was a, a kid and then in high school, but it went back to being more straight. And I was really hoping for the curly and it did not come. Mm. I know. I was hoping for that too. Like I see some of our fellow yakers and i call them they have angel curls they look like yeah. like yeah they look like little cherubs and i'm like oh i wish my hair came back <laughs> the perfect springy little curls and i'm like damn no it yeah. came out 
exact same except for it's really thin like but I think it might be my hormone therapy has really thinned my hair like I used to have thick blonde hair and it's wicked thin but it helps with me not cutting it because I'd always have to get it thinned out so now I'm like okay well let's just grow it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so I have a question for you. We've been talking about hair and how it was back, like quite mundane stuff. How, how has that played in your life? Like, how does it happen that these are the things that we concentrate on when there is so much big things happening in our lives? For myself, I felt like during, during my, 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 my battle years, I felt like I was an actress. I was always had to have my eyebrows drawn on fake eyelash. I wore fake eyelashes so much that I'm actually allergic to the glue now. Like when I take them off, my whole eye poofs out like I have a black eye because I, I don't know what that issue is, but Mm -hmm. I would hide it. And I never, I really have very minimal pictures of me while I was sick because I didn't want to be remembered if I did die for this is what I looked like. I wanted people to remember what I looked like beforehand. Mm -hmm. So I really hid myself and my appearance and all of that. And so for now, like last year, you know, two years ago now, no, last year I got my eyebrows microbladed tattooed on for free at a tattoo show. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, holy shit, I got eyebrows again. And (laughs) every single day I just pencil them in. So they're a little bit darker so I felt like, oh, okay, I, I'm starting to look like myself. So my eyelashes grew back. And now that my hair is like longer again, I'm seeing more of the old me coming back. And it's like a little bit, it's helped in my recovery because I'm like, okay, I'm still here. Like I rec- I'm starting to recognize this person in the mirror again. I didn't recognize who I saw or who I even sounded like. My voice changed. Like they told me when my ovaries would be removed that my voice could drop and I could be more manly, like more hairy and stuff. That never happened, thank God. (laughs) My voice dropped. I have a different laugh. I don't sound like how I used to sound. Mm -hmm. Um, So to have my hair and eyebrows and eyelashes back, it's been like, it's refreshing that there she is. (laughs) Yeah, it's about celebrating the little wins. And the one thing you can take from it is no one outside of I think a cancer experience really can risk like can understand and can respect my hair has grown back and I feel so fantastic about it because it's the little things that make your whole mood and your whole mindset change and then it makes you feel a whole lot better and they're like the smallest little things but it means so much because mm-hmm. you look in the mirror like every day especially as a girl you know like you get your yeah. face off before you go out like you're always looking at yourself and I would not look in the mirror. I would, when I wash my hands, I don't look in the mirror. I don't, I avoid the mirror like the plague because I didn't like what I saw. I used to be a different size in my body. I was a size small to a size large, like immediately. And I'm still struggling really, really hard with how I look physically. Not like my face looks better, but my body itself, like I'm not used to seeing chubby girl I'm I have stacks and stacks of clothes still that I'm hoping I'll fit again um that's been the hardest struggle but I'm learning that I you know I I am who I am and cancer changed me but I'm still me inside and that I have to accept what I look like on the outside and love who I am on the outside 
So that's like my biggest hurdle right now currently that I'm trying to jump over is accepting these new curves. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All these changes that were brought on uh, to, or into our lives that we had absolutely no say on um, yeah. that are now kind of dictating our new, our new identity, our new lives. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's hard to explain it to people who who didn't really, like I didn't really post a lot of the stuff on Facebook when I was sick. Like I would put every once in a while a little update of something, but people are now seeing me and they're like, whoa, what happened? You know, because I'm a lot bigger than I used to be. And it's like, man, I was on bed rest for two yeah. years. I was mm-hmm. not allowed to be physical. I had to start learning, not learning how to walk again, but I say I was had to learn how to walk again because of my stomach. I was split from hip to hip and the doctor pulled me in half to sew me up, like literally pulled me in half. So I had to like stretch, learn to stretch my body straight again. It was so incredibly painful. And then in heart failure, I was not allowed to do any sort of physical activity period for a year. Mm-hmm. so it's like yeah I gained weight yeah that it makes now I'm like it makes sense because I'm like what yeah. the hell happened? I swelled up so much my legs mm-hmm. my arm everything was swollen from the chemo and the heart failure and stuff so it's like I have to explain myself again to people like why I'm big yeah I'm healthy I don't have cancer anymore but this yeah. is why this way yeah, well, I know what you mean. I mean, I was sort of the opposite in the hospital. I was there for two weeks. And because I had to avoid foods and take obviously the chemo, I was getting all these different diseases and infections, I couldn't eat and I ended up losing 50 pounds. And then having to leave the hospital even to get from the room to the elevator to leave took like 20 minutes because it was like, how do I I've been in bed for three weeks? How do I and lost all this weight? How do I actually get from one place to another. So it's really about this rebuilding of the body when it changes and really readjusting. And sometimes it's not as easy. You kind of just have to take it day by day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And learn, like really have patience with yourself, yeah. you know, how frustrating it is. Cause you, you go into the hospital fit as a fiddle pretty much. <laughs> and then you leave and you're like an 80 year old with a walker, a wheelchair, yeah. a every step is so much energy. Like, a bowel movement would knock me out for hours. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Andrea, what, like with, with all the quarantine going on and every cancer thriver to some degree has like this time frame that they probably don't leave the house. What have you been doing to keep busy? Really? Oh yeah, I'm having so much fun because I'm actually, as crazy as that sounds, I'm actually enjoying this because I'm, I'm healthy. I'm happy. I feel good. So this time in quarantine, like I've been doing this for uh, since I think March, March 17th is my official Mm -hmm. date now. I've cleaned, I've gone up, I've, I have cleaned so much shit that I actually (laughs) cleaned my air conditioner yesterday. Like I took it like ready to rip it apart to like get there. Like I'm running out of things to clean. Um, I'm finding little projects to do like yesterday was to put shelves up on the wall well I ended up washing the wall um cleaning the air conditioner putting the shelves up like I'm spending more time finding a task and really detailing it so it takes a long time 
like I dyed my hair one day and then after I dyed my hair I'm like well let's straighten it and then I'm like well let's do the full makeup let's get it right going here that took like eight hours I couldn't believe the whole day was gone and I'm like I spent yeah. it looking at myself in the mirror <laughs> that's um, great though yeah it's awesome journaling. I've been journaling a lot or nice. drawing or painting like I painted that shelf behind me here yeah, yeah, yeah. for wow. days um just staying as busy as I can and teaching my kids school like I'm a teacher all of a sudden mm. so that's up a lot yeah. of time. and I've been doing my schooling from home so I've been just doing little things but those little things I do I try to like really detail it so it takes longer yeah I might as well kill some time while you can for sure <laughs> I've cleaned so much, organized <laughs> the sock drawer, like found all, all the pairs, color coordinate, just busy, just trying to keep myself busy, 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 busy. There you go. Amazing. Well, that was so much fun. I had a great time talking to you, Andrea, and speaking for Gabrielle and myself, really, really cool having you on. We discussed your cancer story, how the past few years have really changed in regards to how you felt internally and externally and how you've managed that with your your word resiliency and how you've battled through um, how it is really being a parent in the tough times and and getting to a point where you can explain the situation to a way that you can understand and you feel comfortable and really how you've built this life back up and, and keep yourself busy. You're an expert now, it sounds like in quarantine, which is great. I think we could all learn from you. And again, we really <laughs> just do appreciate having you, having you uh, speaking with us today. Thank you very, very much. This was a blast and I do it again. Oh, yeah. I'll think more funny things to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. That's great. Well, thank you, Andrea. So this does end episode 131, The Magic of Storytelling, our chat with Andrea. A big thank you to you, our listeners. You always show up for us. Um, before you go, just a quick reminder, if you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or if you simply want to share your story with us, please do reach out to through the Soar Above uh, Cancer website, as well as the social media platforms, uh, which are linked in the show notes. Many smiles to you and see you next week. Bye.